Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Overeaters Anonymous Special Focus 100 Pounder Meeting. Today is Wednesday, the 7th of September, 2022, and we're absolutely delighted to have our speaker, Larry Kay, with us. Larry came into OA over 20 years ago, lives in Chicago, Illinois, and uh, by the way, he's reported to be an avid Chicago Cubs baseball fan. That's it's not been confirmed. Um, so it's over to Larry now to share his experience, strength, and hope. Oh, thanks so much, Paul. Uh, the first very important question is, can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Okay, good. That's always a good start. You know when, um, no, thanks. Thanks so much. And I'm, I'm really delighted to be here to uh to share uh, a little bit about uh, recovery and about uh, the problem, the solution, and how to, you know, how we manifest that solution. When Rita asked me to uh, to speak, she said, "There's only one requirement," and I thought, "Okay, well, what what's that?" And she said, "Well, it's a real simple one. Whatever color shirt Paul is wearing, you must also wear the same <laughs> color shirt." within within a certain range and so I did that but no but I, I I'm really delighted to be here um I love Overeaters Anonymous um it saved my life um yes there was there was a time indeed that I I was um over 100 pounds at least that's the from what I am today at least that was the last time that I weighed myself I probably was more than 100 pounds to be quite honest um but um but I at some point I stopped weighing myself and uh, so I, I know that at least a hundred pounds by the, the grace of God, by the, you know, as a result of, of the implementation of these steps as a way of life, um, you know, that's one of the gifts. It's not, that's not the, uh, that's not the primary gift, uh, but that most certainly is a tremendous gift. And, um, and I, and I'm grateful for that. So where I, where I want to start is, uh, you know, is just, uh, you know, we, we, we kind of have a, you know, a methodology to, to sharing, you know, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. And I wish I could tell you that I'd follow that um, perfectly, but I tend to jump around a little bit and just try to maximize the use of our time and just carrying a message of hope and carrying a message of depth and weight and, um, and telling you, you know, that and letting you know that there, there is hope. And there was a time when I first came to, oh, I'd love to tell you that I, I, I came to the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous some 20 plus years ago, and I walked in the rooms and uh, I just got it. I just, I put that food down from day one and I began to implement those steps and I just rocketed into a, uh, to a, to a tremendous place. And that would be a bold faced lie. That is not what happened to me. And um, uh, I can tell you that that's, that's really not what's happened to most people that I know in Overeaters Anonymous. But if you're on the line and you're one of those people, God bless you. That's terrific. If you came in on a great winning streak and uh, this was just, you know, build upon the winning streak that you were already on, great. You know, the, the, you're welcome here. And that's, that's a tremendous thing. But that is not the experience of myself. And frankly, that's not the experience of most people I know that, uh, in Overeaters Anonymous and in 12-step rooms uh, today. When I, by the time that I got here, I was, such, I was on such a losing streak that not only physically, 
emotionally, certainly spiritually, although I didn't know it because spirituality really wasn't a place in my life. I was so numbed out from the food. I was so heavy physically, emotionally, that there really was no room for spirituality at all. Um, but, but the reality is, is that I, I probably was a compulsive overeater from, from the earliest times. I often share some early memories, but my earliest memory was at two and a half years of age. If you've heard me share before, you've probably heard this before, but, um, but I consumed an entire bottle of baby aspirin. And I thought I was maybe closer to four or five, but my mother, who's still alive in her 80s, she let me know a few years back, no, I know specifically that you were two and a half years of age. And yet I have clear memories to this day of, of that time. And I, uh, uh, I, sn I was a climber and I, my mom had that bottle of baby aspirin up in the cabinets above the refrigerator. And somehow at that age, I had the courage or what have you and the wherewithal to climb up on the counters, to climb up and get to that bottle of baby aspirin. It was before the days of childproof caps. It was a full bottle and there was something about that sweet taste. I remember they were kind of an orange sweet flavor and I consumed that entire bottle of baby aspirin. And it wasn't because I had a headache and I certainly, it wasn't because I was hungry. Uh, there was something about that sweet taste of that baby aspirin. It did something for me that it didn't do for other normal, quote unquote, normal children at that age, because I didn't know anyone else that was doing it. Although when I've, I've shared that story, uh, usually that triggers something in, in, in someone that it, 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 you know, they're, they're reminded of something similar in their past. Oftentimes I get a lot of that, but, um, but that just goes to tell you how early that I was afflicted with this disease. I, um, and, and it went on from there and I stole food and I, you know, I remember that food in my family, I don't know about your family, but in my family, food represented love to the point that there was always our favorite foods around. We celebrated with food, but even when we got sick, you know, maybe we had a cold, a bad cold or something. I have three other siblings. I always remember that my mother, the way that she showed us that she cared and was really thinking about us and made us feel special was she would get us when we were sick, she would get us our favorite binge foods. Right now, we didn't know. I didn't know I was a compulsive overeater at those ages, but it was. It, it really um, there was a, a warm feeling about that. You know those sugary, you know dessert items, those salty, savory, crunchy things. You know those were things that represented love. And why not? You know you you want to you want people to feel better, and boy, they did make me feel better. And I can't tell you that that's why I'm a compulsive overeater. I don't know that even if I could, that it would much matter because my siblings are not, are not compulsive overeaters, at least as far as I can tell. Uh, so there was something in me that I later learned that there was the twofold nature of the disease. I certainly didn't know then. There was an allergy of the body. There was an, uh, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, that strange mental twist. And it's, it's mentioned and it's covered pretty nicely in the doctor's opinion in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's really important that I understand that 
that I do indeed have an allergy, an abnormal physical reaction. That when I can, when a normal person consumes baby aspirin, dessert items, any food at all, at some reasonable point in time, their desire for more becomes satisfied. And then they become disinterested in having more of the food. In us, if you have that abnormal physical reaction, if you have the allergy, that's how they use the term allergy. My desire for more does not become satisfied. Rather, when I consume those food substances, my desire for more doesn't become satisfied. It becomes amplified. It becomes magnified. And that's not physically normal. And when it does become magnified, my desire, I eat more and more and more. And that's why I never had one or two or three or four cookies, you know, unless they were the last ones in the, in the, in the bag um, because of that physical allergy. And anything the big book teaches me, particularly in that doctor's opinion, any sort of description of our disease that leaves out the physical abnormality, the physical allergy is not enough. It's a very important component to understand that when you eat your binge alcoholic food substance, and you have to figure out what that substance is, there's commonalities among many of us, but you know, I, I, some people differ in what that al alcoholic food substance is. But the reality is, is that when I consume those substances, it triggers a phenomenon of craving, and my desire for more gets amplified, and it gets magnified, and I eat more. And if that were my only problem, then abstinence would be the solution to that problem. If that were my only problem, I would just simply abstain from eating those foods. For example, my daughter has an allergy of the body to peanuts. When she eats peanuts, her, the physical manifestation of that is her throat closes up to the size of a pinhole. In other words, it's abnormal. It's physically abnormal. Most people don't have that. If there's a hundred and some people on the line, you might have one or two people that might have a peanut allergy. Thus, it's abnormal. It's outside the norm. And it's a physical manifestation. And you know what they, those people do? Here's what my daughter does. She stays away from peanuts. She never has peanuts unless she's accidentally exposed, but she's pretty you know, pretty good about that, reading labels and so forth. Now, she only has one component of two. She has an allergy to peanuts. She does not have the second component that they talk about in the doctor's opinion, which is the twist of the mind, or we refer to it as the obsession, that leads us back to the very thing that's killing us. Can you imagine if my daughter needed to needed to have a spiritual awakening sufficient to drive out, to eradicate the obsession for peanuts. Can you imagine if that was the nature of her disease, that she had the two? She only has one component. She just has the allergy. Thus, she can stay away from peanuts. She doesn't have to go to Peanuts Anonymous. To, you know, she doesn't have to. In fact, there's no Peanuts Anonymous anywhere in the U.S. or Ireland or anywhere in the world, look it up, you'll never find Peanuts Anonymous because they only have a physical allergy and they are told by their doctors 
to stay away from peanuts. And here's the crazy thing. They do. And they can. They're not obsessed. But we are. So to understand the physical abnormality and then the twist of the mind is critical. If we don't understand that and internalize that and embrace that, we will not pursue the steps with the enthusiasm necessary to have an effective spiritual transformation that will drive out the obsession. I'm going to repeat that because it's critical. If we don't understand the doctor's opinion that speaks to the physical allergy and the twist of the mind, the obsession, we will not work the rest of the steps with the enthusiasm of a drowning man or woman. We will keep looking for a way to stay away from the peanuts. We will keep seeing ourselves as someone that has some other physical abnormality that they can control the peanuts. My daughter doesn't need to work 12 steps. She just stays away from peanuts. But I can't do that. I can't stay away from my allergic substance. And my physical manifestation is a desire for more. It's not throat constriction. I don't break out in hives physically. But nonetheless, there is a physical manifestation, right? And so that's important. And that's why I stress it. I hope it doesn't sound too boring, but I have to stress that because I think one of the reasons that I didn't get well for, for quite a few years in coming to OA is I didn't understand the full nature of the problem. I didn't know what I was up against. And thus, the 12 steps, I worked in a lackadaisical, haphazard way. I, I just was crossing T's and dotting I's. There wasn't anything that I really internalized in a passionate sort of way that I would have to have a spiritual awakening to be brought into alignment with the higher power of my own understanding. And by doing so, a couple of things would happen. Number one, the obsession would be lifted. The obsession would be eradicated. It would be driven out. So I would never trigger the allergy of the body because I wouldn't want the food. And I would be able to do so peacefully, happily, in the midst of difficult things in life. And I'm, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to you know, go back a little bit, but I want to I stress that because if we don't understand that, once again, we will not pursue the steps. Now, you can't work the steps perfectly. I do understand that. Here's the good news. No human being can work the steps perfectly. No, it's, it's an impossibility. But thank goodness, we don't have to work them perfectly. We have to put the food down. Putting the food down is not a step. There's no step that says put the food down. That is a prerequisite to then begin a spiritual process of action. Steps one, two, and three are where we get right with our notion of God or a higher power. If you don't like the word God, a higher power. Steps one, two, and three, we get right with God. Steps four through seven, we get right with ourselves. Steps eight and nine, we get right with others. And steps 10, 11, and 12 keep us right with God, with ourselves, and with others. 
That's the shorthand of the steps. The sequence of the steps is critical. One, two, and three, we get right with, with God. Four through seven, we get right with ourselves. Eight and nine, we go out and clean up our side of the street. We get right with others. And 10, 11, and 12, keep us right with God, with ourselves, and with others. And that, that, that's a way of life. And when you understand that, when you begin to understand that, it doesn't happen overnight, and it may not ever happen for some people. Um, but by the grace of God, you know, I had some good teachers, and I still have some good teachers that were willing to speak the truth to me when the truth needed to be spoken. They were willing to speak the truth to me because all I had in my experience was a diet mentality. Limit what you eat, eat healthy. Sure, work on some other things in your life. Try to, you know, try to change your lifestyle, get some exercise, all that stuff. And yet I couldn't stay on that diet. Staying on that diet in an unrecovered state, staying on that diet in an unrecovered state is like holding your breath underwater. Try holding your breath underwater. Eventually you're gonna to have to come up for air. And when I did, out came the donuts and the ice cream and the pizza and the this and that, you know, you name it, whatever it is. And then I felt like a failure once again. And I felt like I was bad at this. And I felt like I didn't, you know, what they were telling me in the rooms of OA must be wrong because it wasn't working for me. And what I didn't understand then that I understand a little bit better now is some, this is not about science. This 12-step program is not about science. A diet is about science. Calories in, expend so many calories. Sure, maybe you get some therapy, you know, some scientific types of stuff. By the way, that's my field, so I'm not knocking it, right? I believe and I'm a big fan of introspection and all those things. But this is a spiritual program of action. It is not about science. The only element that I can find that is the least bit connected to science is that it can be replicated. One human being after another who immerses themselves in the spiritual way of life through the implementation of the steps, that obsession is gone. And as long as they stay on the beam of recovery by continuing to live this way of life, for a lifetime, service and self-sacrifice for others, the, the obsession remains gone. So that's the only element about science. With science, if you can repeat an experiment, if you will, that's part of science. Beyond that, this is spiritual principles, not scientific principles. It's not you know, one plus one equals two. It's not measure and so forth. That is not. Now we have wonderful tools and I will never, you know, knock the tools. I'm using, we're using them now. You know, there's two legs to this program. One of the, one, and this is in the big book. If, by the way, if I say anything that you cannot square with our approved literature, don't listen to it. <laughs> Don't listen to it. But hopefully if I'm saying something 
you know, and you say, well, can that be squared in the big book? Can that be squared in our literature, our conference approved literature? Then it might be worth heeding, paying, paying attention to. But, but if I say something that, that can't be, don't listen to it. Um, but one, one of the things, there's two legs to this program. There's fellowship, very necessary. What's fellowship? The meetings we attend, the stories we tell, the, the identification we get when we hear someone, it's fellowship. Sponsorship and calling your sponsor, calling other people, building a network, all part of fellowship. It's wonderful, necessary, right? The food plan, the, 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 you know, the abstinence, all the things that go with that fellowship, part of fellowship. Okay, then there is the other leg. That is the practical program of spiritual action. That is the 12 steps, the implementation of the 12 steps as laid out in our, our literature. Two legs. Now, one informs the other, both inform each other, but let's not conflate the tools and the fellowship stuff with the practical program of spiritual action. Okay. And I think what happens in OA, and I say this with love and kindness and compassion, is somewhere along the way, someone says something and it sounds good. And I'll give you one example, which I believe in. I think it's a, one example. 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, meeting makers make it. Uh, these are all things that sound good. And, and, and I would even make the argument that recovered people, not cured, I don't, when I say recovered, I don't mean cured, but someone in a recovered state of being where the obsession has been lifted, they've been brought into a deeper relationship with their higher power, the obsession is gone, and they are uh, living, you know, they are their real purpose, they're living their real purpose, service and self-sacrifice for others with no expectation of a return. They continue to implement steps 10, 11, and 12, you know, that, and they're in a recovered state of being as long as they do that. Okay, but that those recovered people, the, those people, yes, do they attend meetings? I attend meetings every day. Okay, not to stay, to fight my way for abstinence for one more day. You know, that's not, that, that, that's not why I attend meetings. I attend meetings to absorb information, to learn, to transmit information. My sponsor says, real recovery happens when we've implemented the steps and had a spiritual transformation of some sort, customized just for you, right? Could be a white light thing, but more likely like me, more of the educational variety, but rest assured the obsession is gone. That that person now, real recovery happens not through the absorbing of information at that point, it's through the transmission of information, carrying the message to others. That's where real recovery happens according to my sponsor. And I think, I think it's proved to be true. Uh, it's through the transmission of information. Someone who, in whom the problem has been solved. What is the problem? The problem for me is, my sponsor talks about things like the normal buildup of human emotion. It builds up in people and people like us for some reason, whether it's a positive emotion, joy, 
exuberance or a negative emotion, you know, uh, anxiety, fears, they build up and then they build up to such a point that we need to, to, to eat food to sort of bring those emotions down and to anesthetize ourselves. And he says that's one of the problems. But the big book talks about that ultimately selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our dilemma, of our problem. And so what the steps are designed to do is to move us from a self-centered consciousness to a God-centered consciousness, or how about other-centered consciousness would be synonymous, I think. To move from a God-centered or move from a self-centered consciousness, a Larry-absorbed consciousness to a other-absorbed consciousness, a God-absorbed consciousness. And that, and when that happens, and it doesn't, it's not a one-time thing, it's for a lifetime. So for me, what I didn't understand is what was the problem that I was up against was not, food was never my problem. Although it appeared to be, I was a hundred plus pounds heavier. I was fat. My health was horrible. I was emotionally all over the place, up and down, all over the place. I couldn't manage my emotions well. I couldn't manage relationships well. I was a prey to misery and depression. Uh, I couldn't be useful to other people. It was hard for me to keep a job, even though I looked pretty good on paper academically. Five minutes. Thanks so much uh, for that, Roy. Um, so all those bedevilments that we find, you know, I was a prey to all of those things. I couldn't be of real service to other people. And so as a result of that, I became more absorbed in self. And what I, what I realized is, is I had to have a broader construct of selfishness because I thought when I heard the word selfish, I heard bad person, horrible person. No, sometimes my selfishness was just, I was so absorbed in me. Even when I was thinking of you, I was absorbed in me, you know, in relation to you. So I, I like that notion of uh, it moves us from a self-absorbed place where we can't stop thinking about Larry. We can't stop thinking about Roy. We can't stop thinking about even though we're decent human beings that want to live better, we can't get out of that self-absorbed mindset. And through the implementation of these steps, we move towards that other-centered consciousness. And when we do, we're brought into deeper alignment with the higher power of our own understanding. And when that happens, the obsession is lifted. And if you haven't experienced that yet, what my sponsor tells me is, I probably missed something along the way in the, in the implementation of the steps. I probably missed something along the way. And if you say, oh my God, I've worked so hard on these steps. I, you should see my four-step inventory. The fifth step, I did a wonderful fifth step. I opened up on things that you couldn't even imagine. I never would have been willing to. And still I'm fighting to stay out of the food. I made amends. You wouldn't believe the amends that I made. And the big book compassionately tells us that, you know, there might be some things. There are four impediments to this recovery, a secret we will not tell, a resentment we will not let go of, an amend we will not make.
and a vicarious thrill we will not stop, such as control, manipulation, other things. I know we're imperfect human beings, no question. But I'm just saying, there, if, you know, I could go through the steps and still have secrets I will not tell. I could go through the steps and still have, I'm not making amend to that SOB. He did too much, too much to me. Um, you know, a vicarious thrill I will not put down. Of course, I control my children and my spouse and my partner and all that stuff. You know, they step on my toes, I step on theirs, doesn't everybody? I'm just saying that might be getting in the way. It might be some simple things. So an amend I won't make, a vicarious thrill I won't stop, a resentment I will not let go of. I'm going to hold on to it like it's gold. And it's going to corrode me from the inside. And it's like drinking the poison and expecting the other person to die. So those are, were impediments to my own recovery. And yes, I had worked through the steps and I thought, why is everyone else getting this but me? And I needed a Sherpa. I needed a sponsor. I needed someone, an advocate, someone in whom the problem had been solved to sort of guide me through these steps, particularly four and five, six, seven, and eight, nine huge sponsor steps. I had to quit trying to sponsor myself, even though I had other sponsors. You know, take what you want and leave the rest, you told me. I'm leaving most of it. It's particularly the difficult stuff. I'm leaving that stuff, right? So, so of, course I, of course I continue to fight to stay out of the food. I hadn't been, I hadn't experienced a revolutionary internal shift spiritually yet. And I had to be honest with myself and trust the process. And as I'm wrapping up, I'll just say, if we trust the process, if we're open to being brought into alignment with a higher power, regardless of what that higher power is, if we're open to that, if we put the food down entirely, dishonesty, honesty is the principle underlying the first step. How honest was I and what sort of integrity did I have when I continued to eat and lie about it to myself first and then to sponsors? because I felt such shame. We have to put the food down and then embark on these steps and work the steps quickly. Why? Because it's a race for time to cross that bridge to freedom. And then when we do, we do the steps for a lifetime. So anyways, I thank you, Rita, for asking me. I'm not sure if I, if I helped anybody, but you certainly helped me by allowing me to, to say some things that reinforce the way I'm trying to imperfectly live. So with that, I will pass. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you so much, Larry. Um, we're incredibly grateful for uh, your time, your recovery, and your service.